0: Welcome to Shrink Wrap, a podcast where Fran and Becky give proper respect to various mental health and wellness topics,
1: while adding in a little bit of smart assery that they just can't seem to contain.
0: This podcast cannot and does not constitute therapy advice. However,
1: we do hope that you find the information we share with you helpful and entertaining. Please be advised that this podcast discusses topics that can be sensitive to some listeners. Use appropriate discretion.
0: Welcome to Shrink Wrap. We are so happy to have a guest speaker today. My gosh, I am
1: beside myself because I've known our guest speaker for a lot of years. She's super awesome. Her husband is super awesome. And they have the cutest little boy in the universe who just turned one, I think.
2: Yeah, he's 18 months now. <gasps> oh my
1: God, stupid COVID makes it go by too fast. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about addiction and most specifically alcohol And with us, we have Jamie Milbrandt, Certified Addiction Counselor with Avera Addiction Services here in town. And I'm excited that Jamie's here um, because if I have a question like in private practice about addiction, um, she is the first person I will call. So I'll be like, hey, Jamie, I've got somebody who will not attend an in-person meeting. What are my options? Mm -hmm. Hey, Jamie, (laughs) it's (laughs) Becky. Here's my other question. So welcome. Thank you. I'm
2: super excited. Excited to be here.
1: You better We're say hi to Jesse, or he's going to be super pissed. My
2: husband's super jealous that I'm here. Yeah. So hello, Jesse. <laughs>
0: hi, Jesse. Well, well, you could do a cameo. I told your wife, but I guess not. I know, oh well, whatever. Snooze, you lose. He's a big fan girl of this, so.
1: I love your husband too. So the reason we thought this was super important is because I wonder how many times I'm going to say super, first of all, would it be inappropriate to turn it into a drinking game for this episode? Probably. Probably. we're
0: going to have to edit that (laughs) shit out. No, joking. So
1: we've seen, um, at least in our practice, we've seen an increase in the amount of alcohol use, especially since the pandemic. What are you guys seeing in the, in your specific professional world?
2: Oh, absolutely. We've seen a major increase. um, And nationwide. I mean, it's been definitely more problematic since the pandemic has been going on. Um, I mean, alcohol, if you've looked at any social media over the pandemic, alcohol became like the cure. of If you just drink, it'll get rid of stress or Mm -hmm. it will get rid of, or all the poor moms that were, you know, home with their kids of like, well, I'm going to start my wine early today. So we definitely saw... An increase and have continued to see that increase going on. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So what I was just observing, like during the time when we couldn't get together in person, what was happening, at least what I saw, what I participated in, like Once the entire year, maybe, was when you hook up with your friends online, it was wine time, right? So everybody was drinking, even on Zoom. Yep. Oh, yeah. Zoom parties were a
2: very common practice. Um, Even within businesses, it was a way for everybody to get together and have like a happy hour. Mm -hmm. Like, let's get together after this meeting and drink and still hang out and those kind of moments. And so it definitely, I mean, our family or like our friends got together and had those moments. And so being able to realize that we did change our viewpoint. And I think even looking at it more from a coping standpoint than a social standpoint Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. is where it really got to eventually start out social of like, Hey, we can still get together on zoom. And now it's like, no, we're using this to cope because we're still on
1: zoom. Right. And right. to
2: that point has been really the difficult. The other thing
1: I noticed, even within our family, is um, starting last summer, it would be um, the end of the day, the work day. For me, it was my work day at home. Jim was in the office, but the office wasn't open. And it'd be like, let's go on the deck and have a cocktail every day. Mm-hmm. And then we looked at each other and we're like, this is every day. Like, mm-hmm. you know, nobody's getting hammered or anything like that. But it's like, what are we doing?
0: And wasn't there, okay, South Dakota Newswatch, I think, just posted an article about how in South Dakota, our numbers have absolutely exploded. Do you know how we compare nationwide to other states?
2: Um, most of the time, we are pretty comparable. Um, we do tend to have a higher rate of like teen drinking mm-hmm. than a lot of other states do. Um, but even things like our average age of first use for teenagers is 14, and that's pretty national average, too. Um, But I think most of the statistics and stuff that have come out right now have been more of a nationwide thing than narrowing it down a ton. Um, But I mean, they overall saw about a 14% increase in drinking across the board, Mm -hmm. but even more so with females. Mm -hmm. Um, That heavy drinking that was going on, um, a couple different reports as high as 41% increase in heavy drinking in females over the time of COVID. And so... Um, and
1: we were kind of inching our way up there before COVID. Mm-hmm. Like females were like, oh no, let's take over this market too. Yeah, And I think COVID really just... The pandemic really blew it out of the water. Yeah, actually for the first
2: time in 2019 with one of the studies that we do for our adolescents, um, they were like females inched out males for drinking in the wow. adolescent world for the wow. first time.
1: What else are you seeing? Um,
2: A lot of new people. So we definitely have... It's small town Aberdeen. We definitely have our frequent flyers, those kind of moments. But we have definitely seen a lot more new people that we've never worked with before. Um, a lot more family referrals, um, but a lot more even business referrals. And so oh, wow. a lot of the places that went to working at home. yeah, And then all of a sudden now we're coming back into the office and it's like, oh, Joe, like... You haven't mm. seen me in a while. You don't look so great. Yeah,
0: smell <laughs> a little yeah. funny. <laughs> you smell
1: funky, yes.
2: and so <laughs> or even we've had a lot more people, clients that are actually reaching out to their bosses to say.
1: This is getting bad. Oh, I love it that they can at least have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I want to throw this out there because this is Shrink Wrap, the podcast where Fran and Becky make fun of everything. And so we will make fun of this. I always feel like I am um, differently able to make fun of this. I do come from a family where addiction is in our family. Mm-hmm. We are a family of sarcastic people. Um, it is a talk I've had with my children. I'm like addiction runs in both sides of our family. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you can't drink, but when you do drink, you are going to have to you know, have a different viewpoint of it. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to have to be more careful because we do know, um, back when I was doing, um, trainings on this, it's uh, four times more likely where the stats mm-hmm. back then, mm-hmm. if there's a genetic component. So. And
0: it increases if both parents have it, you know, so statistically, oh, those okay. numbers go up. So if it runs on your side of the family and Jim's side, which I don't know if that's the case, does, but in yeah. some, okay, mm-hmm. then there's an even greater chance okay. of some kind. Of I was addiction. always told
1: four times more likely. So that's even scarier. Yeah, yeah. Because you have inherited tolerance, you don't mm-hmm. inherit the gene, you have inherited tolerance at birth, which mm-hmm. in college, you think is cool. Like man, I can drink more than a lot of dudes. And And then, yeah, then I get my master's degree, and I'm like, oh, that wasn't good. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought I was cool, but turns out not so much. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, what are some signs like if you're just kind of zooming around and having your little wine? When should I start to be worried that like "Mm, maybe this isn't a good idea?
2: Um, I think a lot of the stuff that we initially look at is how is it impacting. Couple different areas. How is it impacting your mental health? Mm-hmm. So, obviously, alcohol is a depressant. And so, we can see that increase in depression and anxiety in people. So, how is it impacting that mental health? Like, when you wake up in the morning or throughout your day, you know, are you having those thoughts of like, man, if I just had a drink that I could get through this day a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, again, using it more to cope than that social aspect. Um, but also looking at how is it impacting other areas of your life? Is it impacting family relationships? Has there been comments of, man, mom, this is like the third night in a row that you've gone out on the deck to
1: have a cocktail. Oh, and we yeah. had those talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our kids were honest and said, do you really need to do it every night, mm-hmm. even though it's just one or two? Yep. And we went, whoa, no, yeah. we don't.
2: Mm-hmm. And when we even look at that heavy drinking, like for females, for instance, it's four more drinks in one sitting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if it's getting to that point of, man, I used to just have one glass of wine mm-hmm. and now that isn't enough to satisfy me that I'm now having the whole bottle of mm-hmm. wine, mm-hmm. Um, so those factors in there can definitely be signs and yeah, be the right. biggest red flags for people. Um, you know, is there personality changes going on? Are you sleeping more? Are you finding that work is not as fulfilling as it was before? Are you a
0: little bitchy,
2: Becky? <laughs> no
1: more than usual, unfortunately. Uh, that wasn't a sign. Darn it. I just wear bitchiness all the time. It's
0: just my go-to. <laughs> I just got to be some crap. But you know, one thing that I think is a myth about this, what you're speaking to, is the functionality thing. Like I have, I've seen many people over the years that are high functioning mm-hmm. alcoholics, yeah. right? So they're going to be like, well, I was never late for work. I can still do my job. You know, I may be drinking seven beers a night, but it it's not impacting my ability to function. Okay. I get that. Maybe you can pull your shit together at work, but what about like, what would your kids say about that? Mm-hmm. What would your lovers say about that? How are you functioning in those relationships? Or what is going to
1: be the long-term health effect of that? Because our bodies mm-hmm. aren't made to have seven or eight beers a night. Right. Right forever.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Or we look at the quality. So yes, you may be doing those things. Um, and even like I'll have people, well, I still make it to all my kids as events and I still make it to all these things, but what is the quality of your time there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you actually focused on watching that game or in your head? Are you like, man, I wish this game would get over so that I could get home and be drinking a beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, looking at those quality pieces, cause we get that all the time of, uh, it's not really impacting, X, Y, or Z, I can still do all these things. Um, and even when they truly sit down and talk to their family, I think it's that Midwestern piece that Mm -hmm. we don't want to burden other people, or we don't want to upset people. We just want to be nice. And so when they can actually have that conversation with their family, all mm-hmm. of a sudden their family will just like word vomit and be like, well, actually here is all the way. So we don't like it. We were just nervous to say anything yeah. to you or didn't want to say anything to you. And right. you know, if
1: you are at your kid's activity and you are having those thoughts like, oh my God, I can't wait. But you're not a bad parent. And mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that we know that you're not a bad person. Right? Um, it's just a sign and an indication that you might be either having a problem or headed towards a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think a big one too is having no ability to stop. You know, it's right. like if I start, look out, because there's a train going and I'm on it. Yep. And you know, being able to admit that to yourself is the most important right. thing. I had a client tell me years ago that
1: one is not enough and one more is too many. Mm-hmm. And I went, whoa, <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's profound right, right there. It really is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how do you distinguish, like if I'm just, let's say I'm having a drink every day or a couple of drinks every day, how do I know, am I just abusing it? To cope or am I addicted to it?
2: Um, well, there's been some changes as far as when we look at like abuse versus dependency. So, um, it changed with DSM five a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily classify it in that way. We look at someone having a substance use disorder Mm -hmm. and we have a mild, moderate or severe in there. Um, so that mild area is just a few things are clicking in there. So it might be those things of drinking more than intended of, I told myself I was only going to have that one mm-hmm. and all of a sudden that I'm a six pack in. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might be that it is starting to interfere with those family relationships. And so it's kind of creeping into that piece of like, okay, I, there is some impact going on here. And then up to that severe piece where there's tolerance going on, or there might even be withdrawal happening. Um, you know, in the morning they're having to maybe take a shooter to kind of get the shakes off for those kind of deals. And so that's where it can definitely branch off is more of, okay, there's some dependency actually going on here. There is some physical and psychological need for the substance in my life.
1: Mm -hmm. And And I always thought that the physical dependence was actually the easier one Mm -hmm. (laughs) to combat. It's harder to um, combat the psychological dependence Mm -hmm. that like, you know, either you're in a habit like we were last summer, or this is what you always do when you get together with this group of friends or whatever it might be that that's a hard one to to let go of.
2: Well, absolutely. That's why like nicotine, for example, is probably one of the hardest substances because there's such a psychological to it. You, It's tied to so many habits that you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, yeah, the same with alcohol. If you have a circle of friends that you get together with and with them, that's the commonality is everybody's always drinking. When you decide to stop, it's like, what do I do with these people? Or it's just really uncomfortable to now be around those people because I do want to drink and nobody else, you know, and it just depends on the support from those family or friends. And they may say, well, we can all stop. Like, we don't need to have it at this function. And
1: I think that's changing. I'm seeing that in my practice anyway, that there are people who are quitting drinking for a variety of reasons. They may have never had a dependence issue or a substance use disorder, um, but they're just like, you know what? I just I didn't drink a couple of nights and I slept better and I like that. And so now I haven't drank in six months or six years and people are being really um, supportive of that. We went out to dinner with friends a while ago, and uh, somebody said, oh, yeah, so-and-so doesn't drink anymore. Didn't you notice? And I'm like, I didn't, because I sometimes you just don't want to have a drink. And so mm-hmm. I didn't even think twice about it. But I was like, yay them. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. So I, I think it's becoming much more socially acceptable, mm-hmm. or maybe support, not acceptable, but much more supported, mm-hmm. to just say, I don't feel like drinking. Right.
2: There is even in social media world, you see a lot more um, like mocktails being made yeah. you know, for different events or, um, you know, even at some of the events that I've seen here for businesses that they put on, obviously pre-COVID, they had even some great mocktails made up yeah. of here's mm-hmm. these options. And so it. Gives that appearance of you are drinking something because that's sometimes the hardest part for people of, man, everybody's got a drink in their hand and I have like water. Okay. But that is
0: a really good point because I was doing a little bit of research on that and what I've seen in the past, and I haven't seen it with like mocktails, but more like O'Doul's or that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, that when someone is sober for a while and then all of a sudden now they're starting to do that, that that can actually trigger Mm -hmm. a relapse. Oh, sure. What have you seen with that?
2: I, and it's kind of a different preference between counselors kind of moment. But for me, I really encourage my clients not to do things like O'Doul's. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually there's been a couple other brands that have started to come.
1: Non-alcoholic craft beers are Mm -hmm. one of the fastest growing sectors uh, and they're They're very good. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: absolutely. But for some people, it's perfectly fine. And they are like, yep, that satisfies that need for me. But for other people, especially people who are probably more in that severe dependency moment, they're not getting what they want out of it. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling buzzed or I'm not feeling drunk. And so eventually it can definitely lead to, okay, well, now I'm going to go get what I really do want. Mm -hmm. Um, But for a lot of people, I mean, it is something that they really enjoy um, and obviously a lot of our people, like I primarily work with people on probation and parole. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely encourage, like, don't even go down that Avenue. Yeah. Like it's not even something that you need to explore. Um, cause you
1: just don't need trouble. Mm-hmm. My mom's been in recovery for a bajillion years. I'm sorry, mom. I don't know the exact number, but I want to say it's 40 Maybe over 40 years she's been sober. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until maybe like 10 or 15 years ago that she started drinking O'Doul's. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't drink it regularly. It's like if it's a really, really, really hot day Mm -hmm. and we're at the lake or something, she might have one. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, this is good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is good. But it was a slippery slope. And Mm -hmm. she's very careful with various Mm -hmm. substances because she just, she's like, you never know when you're going to head back down that road again.
0: And I guess it would depend too on like if the person is more like psychologically addicted Mm -hmm. than physically addicted. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously different, everything's going to affect everybody Mm -hmm. differently. But you can see how the psychological for someone where it really means something to you and it really gives you that like, ah, Kind of thing, it could be a slippery slope mm-hmm. for yeah, people. Absolutely, I, I one of my favorite. This is just a myth, and I've jumped off <laughs> ship here, but I, I love <laughs> Whoa, it. Oh, again, I, <laughs> I am just loosening <laughs> up. Yeah, but you know, I hear from people. Well, I only drink beer. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, that I chaps my hide. Don't you hear oh. that a lot? Like it's South Dakota, beer. you used
1: to be able to only buy beer on Sundays, and it used to drive me crazy because I'm like, oh, so you can't drink horribly with beer on a Sunday? It just mm-hmm. It's so like sell it all or sell none.
0: But you can't be an alcoholic. Here's the math: if yes. you only drink bill beer, mm-hmm. bill, mm-hmm. who the hell is Bill? <laughs> if you only <laughs> drink beer you're not an alcoholic oh we hear that all the time like especially people
2: coming in for maybe like a first offense DUI yeah they're like well it's just beer it wasn't that big of a deal Mm -hmm. and it's like well yeah but you were drinking you know a 12-pack to yourself like Mm -hmm. that is a problematic thing um and so but yeah we hear that
1: alcohol is alcohol people Mm -hmm. it's all alcohol how much varies yep but it's still alcohol alcohol. (laughs)
0: Oh, drive, one thing that we see a lot, at least I do. And I think you do too. Like yeah. when you talk about quality of relationships, mm-hmm. it's like, if a woman is coming and I'm going to pick on the guy and the husband is the one abusing him, whatever the hell she then becomes the mother. Mm-hmm. She is really struggling. Like how much do I parent him? Micromanage him. Mm-hmm overlook. And it's horrible. I'm going to smell the coffee in the morning. I'm going to yeah. look in the hiding spots, you know, go to the car, the glove box. And it's just a horrible position to be in to have to be micromanaging your spouse or your lover or whatever.
2: Even in early recovery, we see that a lot. Um, You know, like we'll have family members. I've taken many phone calls of like, you know, they said that they're having cravings. Does that mean they're going to go drink right away? Mm. It's like, no, it doesn't. And even a lot of them still finding, like I still do these behaviors or else some of my clients will say I don't understand why they still question where I'm at or if like one guy talked about every time he would come home from especially work functions because that's tended to be where he would drink the most that his wife would make sure to give him a kiss like as soon as he came in the door (laughs) and he's like I know why she's doing this Mm -hmm. and he's like even now like I enjoy the affection that I'm getting but I still know now that she's doing this Mm -hmm. and trying to explain to people that you broke a lot of trust in those years that you were drinking it's going to take a long time to rebuild that trust Mm -hmm. and so they may have those and it's kind of their own psychological piece to your drinking of having to be that mother Mm -hmm. moment and having to look at things and so they are still going to be paranoid a little bit of like, well, when is a relapse gonna happen?
1: Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's so important to um, get therapy, not only for the person maybe with the the use, but also with the loved one. And then also make use of things like Mm Al-Anon, which is a support group for friends and family with loved ones Mm -hmm. um, who have a drinking issue. I recommend Al-Anon all the time. And we've got a couple of really great groups here in town Mm -hmm. um, that are very healthy.
2: Yep. And we now have a Naranon. It oh, always good. sounds very weird. But Yay. yeah, for
1: Narcotics
0: Anonymous, for family members. Boy, we've also. needed that for a while. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I, you know, the reality may be you may never get your trust back in that mm-hmm. relationship. You may never. And so if that's what you're striving for and you've been lying and denying for years, mm-hmm. that may be the ultimate mm-hmm. ramification of your choices. Yep. Right. And Absolutely. there might just always
2: be that moment of being on edge for those mm-hmm. family members because, I mean, It's not uncommon for relapse to happen. Like Mm -hmm. relapse happens in a lot of people. And so it is that moment of they may always be on that high alert. Mm -hmm. Um, Things might slow down after a while. But being able to know that your family members, there's always that fear in the Mm -hmm. back of their head of what if it goes back to the way that it was.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. One of the things I learned back in the day was, um, we have a layer as as somebody with an addiction, we have a layer of insulation that we use to protect our addiction. And that's a talk I've had to have with a lot of family members. They're like, you know, I'm again, we're going to pick on the husband. Well, We'll pick on the wife. Um, you know, she knows that if she gets drunk again, mm-hmm. like it's done, I'm done. It's over. She mm-hmm. promised she wouldn't. And she does it again, you know, and, and to explain to them that the relationship that she has with alcohol is Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, more important to her. Mm -hmm. You know, even though she says, no, it's not. And she will do whatever it is. She will lie. She will cheat. She will steal to protect that relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, and then the layer of insulation is, well, I do go to work every day Mm -hmm. or, um, I've never had a DUI, so I must not. And all those insulating, which is why my use is okay mm-hmm. and why this person over there is the one you should really be worried about because look at them. They've had four DUIs and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever.
2: Well, that comparison happens all the time. Uh, well, mine so isn't much. as bad as theirs, so mm-hmm. I'm okay. Yeah, Or I don't start, like a lot of the women that we'll meet with, we'll talk about, well, I don't start drinking until after the kids go to bed. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so at least they're safe. But being able to kind of try to rationalize a little bit, but what if there's something that happens in the middle of the night? Right. right. Are you going to be capable and able to drive to the hospital yeah. or to, and that isn't the forefront of their mind. Mm-hmm. And so it does, it gets difficult to rationalize and every person we work with, with addiction issues are the perfect people of rationalizing anything. <laughs> They're and everything. so
1: good. Yes. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit, because you had brought this up in our email correspondence, gray drinking. Mm-hmm. What? Oh. That blew my mind. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about what you mean when you say gray drinking. So
2: it's that middle ground again. So when we look at it specifically with that mild, moderate, severe, it's that moment of like, okay, so I maybe I don't have a substance use disorder, but my drinking is getting more significant. And so I am having more of those ramifications. Um you know i might be having work issues but that's it so it's not that bad mm-hmm. you know um or you know my i've noticed that i am drinking more in the evenings and we saw a lot of it especially in pandemic time frame mm-hmm. of you know i and not for some people it wasn't even intentional But boredom kicks in. I have nowhere else to go. And all of a sudden, I look and I'm like, oh, I polished off a full bottle of wine Mm -hmm. and didn't even realize that I did it. And so, a lot of it is just looking at that view of their alcohol use, too, of like, well, I mean, I can't go anywhere, so I might as well finish off this bottle of wine Mm -hmm. kind of deal. And so, that's that gray drinking that really can be dangerous. Um, And can lead to some of those. So kind of of like
0: creeping along the continuum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And so when I read about the gray drinking, that's what made me think about um, Annie Grace. Um, You can Google her. She's got a lot of stuff out there. But one of her books that I love, she's got two books, The Alcohol Experiment and This Naked Mind. And This Naked Mind is a fabulous book because it's a very nonjudgmental book this is why you drink. This is what you get from it. Um, I mean, she she gets into the um, advertising aspects of things. Mm-hmm. Like, you, all, you are bombarded, whether it's advertisements or, you know, you're watching your favorite TV show. I was just talking with somebody the other day about Old Will and Grace, because I haven't watched the reboot. Um, but how Karen, I mean, all she did was have a martini and talk about popping pills. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. Yeah. But, you know, if you have an addiction, maybe not so funny. Right. Yeah. You know, and that could be very triggering. And so she just talks about all the things and, and really what it does for you, it does relax you. Mm-hmm. It does temporarily make you forget how stressed things are, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all of these things, but then it's such a short term. And mm-hmm. then, you know, what does it end up costing you? And I just, I, I love her approach because it is so uh, non-judgmental it's like, of course you drink, this is why, Mm -hmm. but you know, let's be real, it's not helping you, so here's what you can do.
2: And we are, we're a very alcohol-saturated society. Like, it's nothing, it's not an Aberdeen thing, it's not a South Dakota thing, like, it's a nationwide thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, alcohol is a part of a majority of events. Um, Even, it always makes me laugh when there's, like, alcohol tents at car shows, Mm -hmm. because I'm like, everybody still has to drive out of here. (laughs) So, like, this is not a good combination (laughs) here. Um, Or when, you you know, at our fairgrounds, we have a beer garden. Like, I mean, we have, we are just a very, and a majority of people can drink responsibly. Mm -hmm. Have one or two and be done. Um, But even the amount of businesses that I hear when working with people that it's very commonplace to have a beer fridge. Um, Mm -hmm. And when they get done at the end of the day, everybody, um, you know, Goes and has a
1: beer before they head home.
0: You didn't know we have them. Joking? Don't. (laughs) (laughs) They've been holding out
1: on me. Well, and I think going along with, um, you know, the the beer gardens or whatever it Mm -hmm. might be, people will say, "Well, I feel okay. Mm -hmm. I'm walking fine. I'm talking fine." But now we go back to tolerance. Mm -hmm. And I always think um, back in the day there was, um, I think it's in the Guinness Book of World Records or it's in some record book. There's a gal from I want to say Box Elder who has the highest blood alcohol level mm-hmm. on record and it was like .5 no it was higher than that even cuz .52 i saw when i worked I was at say
2: I've seen .5 yeah. so it's I want to say higher. it was like
1: .7 mm-hmm. oh my gosh yeah so mm-hmm. To, I mean, for perspective. So when we had that great big flood, when was that? Oh, mm-hmm. seven. Um, I was working um, on our behavioral health unit. And then half of that is a detox unit. And so we had a gal brought in. She was trying to drive to work mm-hmm. over the bridge, over the overpass where there was a lake, you needed a boat. Mm -hmm. And they stopped her. And she's like, I got to get to work. And they're like, well, you can't. I got to get to work. 0.52. Oh, wow. And she was driving. Mm -hmm. She was talking. She was interacting. Mm -hmm. And that was her blood
0: alcohol content. And you know, that's something that I see a lot of teenagers are not recognizing like, you can die from this. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's like, if you have, what is it? 13 shots in an hour or something Mm -hmm. like that, which is great on your 21st birthday, right? Power hour. Let's do 21 shots in an hour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can die Mm -hmm. and they don't recognize that until they're in ER getting their stomach pumped or whatever. Um, it's dangerous yeah, and very really dangerous. scary for parents. And
1: yeah. just for reference, for people listening, if, if you don't understand, I mean, all of us know blood alcohol level, um, 0.08 mm-hmm. is the level of intoxication for DUI. So yeah. when we're talking 0.52, mm-hmm. you know, you're almost what, seven times, I'm not mathing well, seven times that? You mm-hmm. yeah. better than me. Yeah. Well, and like one of our doctors used to explain
2: it, he's like, the best way for me to try to explain it to people is looking at like 50% of your blood is alcohol. And he's like, for people to That's see it in wild. that way, it's like, this is an insane way to look at it. Yeah. No. Mm. So, um, and it, you know, and even looking from it, definitely it is a very deadly disease as far as you can drink too much and have that piece, but the withdrawals mm, from alcohol right. um, are one of the things that
1: withdrawal themselves can kill people. And mm-hmm. that's why we say, if you have a loved one that has a significant mm-hmm. um, physical dependence on alcohol, don't demand that they just go sober Cold without turkey, some yeah. medical inter- intervention. Correct. Right. Now yeah. I, I have heard stories where they've been told like, well, he's going to do it at home or she's going to do it at home, but I'm just going to give them like, a sip every hour i'm like no (laughs) no we're gonna go to the hospital we're gonna have a doctor in charge Mm of
2: this yeah and we've had people like um when we they do come for detox services that the medical advice from some of our physicians have been it's like we've had people drive from west river so you're driving five hours Mm -hmm. and they have said no you need to
1: Let them have something until they get
2: here so we can medically take care of it because they are having seizures and they are having um, DT, so they're having hallucinations, those kind of things. And so it can be very dangerous. Um, And, I mean, we
1: are ICU often is filled at times with people because of that. So let's talk another myth. Um, none of us at this table except Fran needs to worry about having a significant <laughs> alcohol issue because you have to be old, right? Yes), <gasps> yes! <laughs> The no, last on. episode, I called you Methuselah.
0: That oh. was a double-edged sword. Oh. That was cool. wow. That was harsh. It was Ooh. so hard-hearted. Oh my snake god! I'm going to have to be is. nice to her tomorrow. Oh no! No,
1: but that is a common myth. That mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about it. I'm young. Mm-hmm. I've got no worries.
2: Yep. No, we've seen clients that have come through um, in their early 30s that are already having severe cirrhosis of the liver, mm-hmm. um, or are on we we had a gentleman many moons ago that was only like 25 and he was on a liver transplant list. Oh,
1: I know, but they were probably, I'm just going to throw another myth out there, probably unemployed and they just drank gutter swill all the Mm -hmm. time. Out of a brown bag. Out of a brown bag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they really weren't like, let's say Mm -hmm. upstanding members of society. Correct.
2: Always. Well, and that's just the thing is like addiction doesn't discriminate.
1: It doesn't. It doesn't. Mm -hmm.
2: And Mm -hmm. you know, I think for a long time, Society put it in our mind a little bit of like, yeah, you are as a male. It was mm-hmm. always going to be a male who yep. was the alcoholic. Right. Um, and yeah, you weren't functioning. You were probably living under a bridge. You were, you right. know, homeless, all these things, but it's not. I mean, there is definitely, you even look throughout society and the amount of celebrities that have really pushed over the last few years to be very open about, mm-hmm. I have addiction issues oh. and I'm going through recovery. Like, you
1: Jamie know, Jamie Lee been, Curtis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I mm-hmm. loved reading her story. Or mm-hmm. Dak
2: Shepard recently yes. talked about his relapse, yep. um, you know, and everything that kind of led up. Up to it and how much he hit it for mm-hmm. a very long time. Um, But then he's like, I need to be open and honest about this. Because he spoke so highly of being in recovery and was actually still speaking highly of it when he was going through relapse. And that Mm -hmm. has to
1: be like double shame, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, for somebody to be that open and out about, hey, here's recovery, but Mm -hmm. then
0: relapsing. You know, one of my favorite books, and I know it's controversial, but I loved it, was, and he's one of my favorite authors, Dark as F, James Fry, (laughs) Mm -hmm. A Million Little Pieces, right? He got his ass kicked Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. Oprah because... You know, he it, it was supposed to be his life story, but it really kind of was mm-hmm. fictional. Whatever. Oh, yep. Now I know what you talking about. I yeah. still recommend mm-hmm. read the friggin' book. It is so powerful mm-hmm. in so many different uh-huh. ways, and I think even if it wasn't true to the T, it speaks so many mm-hmm. different it's, stories. It
1: sounds like it, it's at least relatable. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. a lot of people could see themselves in that. Mm-hmm. I have to read that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a great one.
0: Yeah. It gives me chills. I've read it a couple of Mm -hmm. times. Um, You know, we talked a little bit again, I'm jumping ship here. Risk (laughs) factors. I know Becky gave me the eye, the eagle eye. Risk factors, meaning like it can run in families so it can be genetic. Mm -hmm. But I think some other things we need to just make sure we talk about is that, you know, people that have had childhood trauma of some sort could be more susceptible to it, having certain personality traits or personality disorders, Mm -hmm. and really like the social environment that you're in and what's going on. Because like you were talking about, Jamie, you know, it's not isolated to socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. However, you see in people that are like let's say undertakers have a very, very high rate of suicide Mm -hmm. and addiction. Lawyers in general, you know, that have Mm -hmm. a very high rate of addiction. You think of their stress and their Mm -hmm. jobs. Um, It is deaf. All of those things play into risk factors Mm -hmm. for people. Can you think of other risk factors I didn't cover?
1: Let's I want to go back, though, to personality traits, because I think that's an interesting one that people don't always think about. So what are the traits that you guys talk about um, when you're visiting with people about addiction and abuse?
2: Some of it is that, well, we definitely look at some of the mental health aspects. So, um, for instance, you know, someone when they're talking about having like OCD. Um, there is moments within that, that can definitely drive that addiction piece in there too. And that need for that perfection. Um, and we sometimes see that in our more like closet drinkers actually, because Mm -hmm. they want to have this good front and they want to have. And so the stress again of some of those moments, um, but even just the people who, need to go all out Mm -hmm. in everything that they do right and so it may be that they're gonna take up knitting and man they are gonna knit the best blanket ever and they're gonna learn it till they learn it and you know even simple things and so that's the same when it gets into drinking go big or go home moment right Mm -hmm. Uh, like well if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this
0: oh my god you know what I thought of when you said OCD I was like yeah you have to drink an even number of drinks (laughs)
1: Right. It might be that too. Today <laughs> we're like gonna a... talk about medication possibilities yeah. yes. for O C D yes. friend, but not on the podcast.
0: And then I was thinking, you know, you can't leave any in the bottle. You gotta mm-hmm. drink the whole bottle, yes. right? Yes. So but exactly. yeah. Can't have you can't have an odd number of bottles.
1: So just be ridiculous. <laughs> I know when I worked at Northern we talked about um we talked about the balls to the wall because mm-hmm. I worked um on a college campus, the top three risks, okay, now I'm going way back in the Wayback Machine, but it's uh, your Greek society is your highest mm-hmm. risk factor for addiction, and then student athletes, and I can't remember what the third one was but student athletes were number mm-hmm. two. And so we would have to have, and, and I worked with the student athletes at the time and we would talk about like competition is your, mm-hmm. you know, so when you play hard, you play hard. When you work hard, you work hard. And when you drink hard, you drink mm-hmm. hard. Yep. And um, also very gregarious mm-hmm. is another personality mm-hmm. trait that goes with it. Like you're the life of the party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that I remember is um, you, you don't, you only think about short-term gain. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about long-term consequence. Yep.
2: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, you know, going back to that student-athlete moment too, they're also the ones who are going to more likely do things like drinking games. And so they're going to oh, be the competitive competition. Yes. in drinking games. And, you know, a lot of those drinking games, you are consuming a lot of alcohol in a short period of time. Yeah. Um, and so that is the piece that they don't always recognize. And they, a lot of times they are on such a, almost an adrenaline high too of, playing these drinking games and having fun and those kind of things. So then when it stops, all of a sudden it hits their body of like, I can't walk. Right. I can't move. And so, um, we definitely see that. I think the other area where I've really noticed it in college students, especially is the, um, the high academic people. So that stress of, I need to have this perfectionistic again, I need to, you know, and so they, are the ones of like, well, you know, if I just have this glass of wine or if I just have this mixed drink or whatever, it's going to help me calm down so I can study. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of ones I think that fall into that even like gray drinking sometimes Sure. Mm -hmm. of like, well, I'm still functioning. I'm still getting my A's and I'm still getting, you know, all these things, but there is just such a
1: extra amount of stress on me. Yeah. Um, that you know, I just do it to cope with the stress. One of the things I told the student athletes, because um, I worked at a time with a with a gal by the name of Deb Thorstenson, mm-hmm. who was nationally recognized in her work with um, violence against students, mm-hmm. addiction on college campuses, um, sexual trauma on campuses. She, I mean, she was known. We would go to a national conference, and I'd be like, "Oh, I work at Northern." And they'd be like, "Oh, with Deb Thorstenson." I'm like, "Yes, mm-hmm. with Deb Thorstenson." Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things we through our NCAA training is we would say, if you have three or more drinks on one occasion, it's going to take your body about 24 hours to get back Mm -hmm. to just homeostasis functioning. Mm -hmm. If you do that two nights in a row, it's going to take you seven days. And so if you're in season,
0: Mm -hmm. you are wasting a week's worth of practices. Mm -hmm. So are coaches allowed now to like mandatory drug tests periodically or do coaches not do that?
2: Feel like it probably depends on the schools. NCAA, Like I know we've said I mean yep. when you
1: yeah, when mm-hmm. you sign up with NCAA at a at a college campus, you are agreeing to that you mm-hmm. will do that. Okay. Typically they won't, the coaches won't unless NCAA says you need to pull mm-hmm. these athletes mm-hmm. and do a UA. When I was at Northern and it's again, that's been a long time. Um, I worked with Bob Olson and he was the most fabulous man to work with cuz he really did care and mm-hmm. the coaches really did care and so there was an expectation that you wouldn't drink if it was getting out of hand they usually sent them over to the counseling center mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that we could work with them like why are you drinking to this extent um but if you continue to then you were off the team
0: mm-hmm. but so many of these kids are out test uh, out smarting the test mm-hmm. you know my girlfriend's going to pee in the cup for me they <laughs> Oh you can't me. do that um it's interesting i was at the dog park
1: last night and one of the trainers from northern was there no you they stare at you
0: yep They do. Usually monitored. Oh, you are?
1: She says we get notified at 5 Mm a.m. who's getting pulled. So we call them at 5 a.m. You need to come right now. Mm And we stare at them, and the urine has to have like, um, what did she call it? A certain, certain consistency, if you will, and it has to be a certain temperature. And if it doesn't meet those two things, it's an automatic fail. So
0: who's the poor sap that has to stick the thermometer in the pee? I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking.
1: But yeah, okay, that's good to know. I know. I said I'm glad I'm not a student athlete because mm-hmm. I would have performance anxiety. Like yeah. I can't. I don't know how long I had to be married to Jim before I could actually pee with him in the bathroom. Yeah. I oh, that'd be horrible. Yeah.
2: No. And there, I mean, there is a lot of people that whether a lot of the probation and parole people that I work with that do find ways around it. Absolutely. But, um, you know, there's more and more of, yeah, whether it's UAs are monitored or there's different ways that we now administer UAs so that they're not having to really handle anything. I mean, there's ways and we actually do. Um, so we do alcohol test also our clients. So Mm -hmm. there's a, it's called an ETG. Um, and so it can actually measure for up to usually about three days if someone's been drinking and they're oh, really? measured wow. in the urine. Wow. And so um, oh, like a that. lot of people in our outpatient treatment programs will do pretty consistent ETGs on them mm-hmm. um, so to see if like, because they had treatment on Thursday and don't have it again until Monday. Mm-hmm. And so come Monday, they might get an ETG done to see if they're...
1: And speaking of mathing, when you have an addiction, you get good at mathing. Mm-hmm. You oh, know, yeah. it's like, okay, I have to do twice daily PBTs. Mm-hmm. And so if I have three beers right now, it should be out of my system. System. By the time I have to report to the jail to yep. do a breathalyzer, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> like I, oh,
2: wild. Yeah. Oh, they definitely figure it out.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. which is that's that's the hold of addiction mm-hmm. that Absolutely. you will spend that much time and energy doing that. Absolutely,
0: and that's one of the things we point out on a regular basis.
2: You're going to extremes. Yeah.
0: I'm curious, Jamie, because sometimes my clients have been referred to a psychiatrist to take the medication that makes you puke your guts up.
1: (laughs) Or the one that makes you not
0: crave. Those mm -hmm. are the two I hear prescribed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you, what do you think about that? And is it a good thing, a bad thing? What's your thoughts?
2: Um, So medication assisted treatment or MAT is commonly used. Um, We see it for alcohol we've also seen it for opiate use disorders there's more research now coming out for some different medications that can also help people with meth use disorders oh, nice. um yeah that one I'm yeah. excited Yay. for. So, mm-hmm. um, but when we look at it, you know, an abuse isn't necessarily one of them. And that's one that makes you puke. Um, not one that's necessarily used as often anymore. Um, just because you can, in a way, calculate. It's back to that you math can, moment yeah. of, okay, if I took it today and now I don't take it again for this many days, then I'm going to be good to go. Yeah, and so is, I can um, drink
1: on Friday mm-hmm. if I quit taking it today or yeah. whatever it might be.
2: And it is in the hands of that person. Mm-hmm. So they can choose like, well, I'm not going to take it. Like mm-hmm. you might prescribe it for me, but it doesn't. And I mean, you guys see that with mental health medications, right? Of like, well, I'm feeling really great, so I don't need this anymore. Right. Um, but there is more medications. There's a couple of different ones that have come out that we see more often that actually do target the craving portion of it. Um, and I've had quite a few clients on it that really, it helps. Oh, good. And they really. And even if it's short-term, a lot of them, it might be their first six months.
0: What is the name of it?
2: Um, There's a couple different socamprels, one of them that gets used probably most often. Mm -hmm. Um, But looking at, you know, what are some... Most of our doctors around here are going to tie it with some form of therapy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whether they're in treatment um, or they're doing individual counseling or they're doing something now, all just, of the above, yeah, we're all mm-hmm. of the above, not just here, take this medication and you'll be good to go. Um, because they do know that it's more than just the medication. Like we still need to work on why are they drinking and what is going on? Um, and so a lot of our doctors will tie it in or say, okay, I'm willing to prescribe this medication, but you while we're here in the doctor's office, we're going to call and get an assessment set up and Mm -hmm. you are going to follow through with this. Um, And so working with them in that way of yes, this medication be helpful, but not on its own.
1: Mm -hmm. What are you seeing as far as I'm going, I'm going off the sheet now too. Uh What are you seeing as far as like comorbid diagnosis? Like I know what I feel like I see on the counseling end Mm -hmm. of things where you know, they're depressed and drinking or they're drinking to cope with their depression or their anxiety or vice versa. Like, what do you see like the chicken and the egg yeah. kind of moment? Yeah.
2: Oh, and it, a lot of times that is the piece that we look at when people come okay. in of saying, you know what, if I think they, if they can get their mental health under control, the drinking will probably go away. Okay. Um, and so it may be that we're, we do those initial assessments and say, let's get you tied in with a mental health therapist first and try that. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Be, but then there is that opposite of like, oh, no, the depression has definitely come on because of the drinking. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the guilt or the shame or all these things that have now tied in. And so they're like, man, I'm really depressed. It is. It's a hard battle. And sometimes it's just a combo of both. Right. Truly, there is a family history of both
1: items. And this person is just they're stuck. Mm -hmm. I feel like it is um, like the majority of the time Mm -hmm. both are present. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. When I'm doing our history and I'll be like, is there a history of, um, you know, depression or bipolar anxiety? I don't think so. Is there a history of substance abuse? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, not really. I mean, you know, I had my uncle in my room. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, self-medicating, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. back then you couldn't say mm-hmm. I'm depressed or yes. I, you just didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: I think even now it's still difficult for people to. That's why we're
0: here, man. Yes, exactly. Right? exactly. Uh, I think the saddest thing that I've seen over the years is I will, because I'm obviously Methuselah, <laughs> I will see the kids right and they're like maybe junior high and they are just in anguish because one of their parents or both of them are alcoholics Mm -hmm. and they've had to like take care of their parents Mm -hmm. and make sure their parent is sleeping on their side so they don't inhale their own vomit and Mm -hmm. die in their sleep and horrific childhoods Mm -hmm. right and they're like, I'm never gonna friggin' drink. Right, right. Right. Fast forward, I'm still alive. So I get to see this. Unfortunately, <laughs> they're the ones that are full on mm-hmm. alcoholics. So, one yeah. thing I would like to shout out to people about is that even if you think you're only drinking at night, mm-hmm. even if you are high functioning, these kids are watching. Mm-hmm. This Mm -hmm. is what they know. They're not stupid. And it becomes a way of life, even if it isn't right away. I think initially many of them are like, Mm -hmm. oh, hell no, I'm not going to drink until they do. Right. And it's that easy access
2: moment. So if they know that mom and dad are drinking and that their heavy alcohol is present in the home, and so Mm -hmm. it is an easy access moment, Um, you know when we meet with parents that maybe their kids are getting in trouble for the first time, they're kind of dipping their toes in the water moment. um, That's one of the things I'll ask of how easily accessible is your alcohol? Mm -hmm. And I get this like blank stare. Um, And I think part of it comes from like my husband and I are foster parents. And so one of our parts that we have to do is all of our alcohol has to be locked up. Mm -hmm. And so when I recommend that to people, like, do you have your alcohol locked up? They look at me like I'm the craziest person in the entire world, Mm -hmm. but it's that moment of easy access. And so if it is really easy for them just to go and grab something out of the fridge, you know, do you keep account of how many beers you had in your fridge? Mm -hmm. And so they may be able to take these and you don't even notice, or, you know, the age old trick of like, you know, mm-hmm. drinking some vodka and then put some water to fill right. it up. I and never, I never did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And so, you know, it is easy, but we, yeah. I think we see those major opposites. So it's either I'm never going to drink like my parents drank and they don't, mm-hmm. and they are like firm and they don't, you know, mm-hmm. um, or it is like, they just follow that same pathway.
1: The yeah. other thing I see too, and I'm interested because you're a new parent, so you don't count. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. I'm interested to hear what Fran has to say. I always feel, and we've been told by our children that we are the strictest parents in the universe oh, God. because we had a very much like while you're in high school, like this, mm-hmm. this is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. We're not going to kick you out. We're not going to, you know, disown you, but we will not, we will always come get you mm-hmm. and we will make sure you're safe. And then the next day we're going to have a fricking talk. Mm-hmm. And, um, we've gotten a lot of grief from our kids and some other parents. Mm-hmm. It's just beer. It's just a truly, you know, at least they're doing it it's at home. Of passage. Yeah. And they're mm-hmm. doing it, they're doing it, you know, at home with us. And and I'm like, no.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you're looked at, like, you just sprouted a second mm-hmm. head. Like, what are you being such a tight ass about? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't, Addiction, maybe? Mm-hmm.
0: I don't Absolutely. know. No, I think that's pretty common, but I also would would wager to guess your kids drink in high school. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. But it's just like, I w- we didn't condone it. Right. I guess. And that's the difference. Yeah. And, and I also think there's parents that struggle with like, should I ever drink in front of my kids? Should we okay. have alcohol at the house? Should we not have alcohol right. at the house? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? Jamie.
2: You know, when I, so when I first started at, um, Avira, I worked in our prevention program. So I had a seven county catchment area of working in the schools. So I was at Holgate actually one day. And, um, I had a kid that, um, was a spicy kid that I had as an adult later, <laughs> Spicy. But, <laughs> um, we were talking about alcohol mm-hmm. and he raises his hand and he says, you know, at the time I wasn't married yet. So Miss Kern, um, <laughs> you know how can you stand up there and talk to us about alcohol when I saw you drinking last night?
1: Mm. Oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) And I had this moment of like, go through the Rolodex where it was I last night. And it was I was at supper with my Uh now husband and had a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. And it was that moment of kids don't always understand that I was drinking responsibly that night. Mm -hmm. And I had that one glass. Um, I wasn't like stumbling out. I wasn't, you know, but for them, it was just the connection of you drink. So what do you know? Mm. kind of moment and how, you know, you're being hypocritical by standing up here and teaching us these things. And so it is those moments of being really aware of who you're around, you know, Mm. um, again, being foster parents, like we've had kids in our home where alcohol was the main reason they were maybe removed from that home. And so, you know, we had one kiddo, for instance, that if my husband did have a beer, it caused major anxiety. Mm. Um, and so learning like, okay, in this environment, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like we don't need to drink and we don't need to. And so it's kind of that knowing your audience, but it's also teaching kids responsibility Mm -hmm. because you know, if you don't talk to them at all, Mm -hmm. they're going to get to college and it's going to be rough. Right. Um, And so being able to have those open dialogues and have those open conversations about, you know, this is what alcohol is. Here's our view on it. Mm -hmm. And here is what is going to work in this home. Whether your friends do something different and their parents do something different, this is our home. Right. And, But here is what responsible drinking looks like. And here, you know, if you get legal issues, here will be the issue with me and dad, you know, and those kind of conversations, because the more that we can be open Mm -hmm. and the more we can talk about those things, the less likely there is to be issues. Mm -hmm.
1: I was actually when I did the insight program and I would teach the Saturday once a month classes Mm -hmm. um, on alcohol education. I was at a grocery store here in town and I was buying a bottle of wine. And the cashier, um, she had to call somebody over because she wasn't old enough to sell it. And she goes, aren't you that alcohol teacher from Northern? And he just got mad at her. He's like, no, mm-hmm. you don't. And I said, no, that's fine. I uh-huh. said, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, if you've taken my class, because mm-hmm. I am going to ask her, mm-hmm. I said, what you know is, is that I'm over the age of 21. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can do this. You got to participate in my program for being under the age of 21 mm-hmm. and getting busted. Yep. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah.
2: And it is difficult. Like there isn't always. It's such a small damn town. It is. Though. It is. Like mm-hmm. we talk
1: about that often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was at Brown County Fair one year. This was years ago. And um, we had gone to the demolition derby. Mm-hmm. And so we were leaving. And um, across a crowded sea of people, I hear this, Becky! Becky! And I look and he's like, that's my alcohol counselor! Becky! And i like, oh, Jesus
0: One of my favorite stories, and I've heard it multiple times, is that back in the day when you could test and give pee, your girlfriend would pee for you, Mm -hmm. that uh, (laughs) one of the situations and it's happened many times in circumstances where the guy is like, gets his pee tested and then... The person is like well the good news is you're clean <laughs> mm-hmm. and the bad news is you're, you're pregnant pregnancy? right and yeah. that just freaking cracked mm-hmm. me up because oh, yeah. can you imagine just the look on that person's yes. face is awesome
2: yeah. oh no we've had instances where people get their kids' pee before oh. to oh, pee wave, and then it tests positive for marijuana and it was like the best <laughs> ever and so that was like the rude awakening to this parent like, of, oh, hey your no.
1: kid's been smoking pot oh, oh no okay. Wow. Okay. So what are the next steps? Like, let's say I do, I do think somebody has a problem um, or I'm, you know, somebody comes to me and says, Becky, I don't know what to do. Where, where can we send them? What Um, does that look
2: like? You know, there's different avenues that people can go through. So it can either be direct referrals. So we've had definitely I mean, like you said, you have called my office many times. And so we've had these moments of direct referrals of being able to call up and say, Hey, I've got this person in my office right now. What can we do? Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's a matter of looking at, we just need that initial assessment to see what our options are. That's where they're at right now to have those initial conversations or no, we need to look at some sort of a hospitalization right now. Like it's not looking good. Um, So having those phone calls, we have someone on call 24 seven, and so, you know, if you just call our general numbers, it's 622-5800, you'll, you can get somebody at any okay. hour. Um And- I tell my clients all the time, I'd rather sit and talk to you at three in the morning and know that you're okay. Mm-hmm. than the next day, find out you used and you're in jail now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, getting those initial assessments is typically the route that we go of seeing how bad is this issue. But the biggest thing is the honesty portion of
1: it too. Right. right. Okay, because be I was ready gonna, to
2: be honest. I was going right. to ask you, because
1: the common complaint I get or critique you will is, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to tell him or I'm going to tell her and she's just going to lie. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah. Absolutely. Um, So we do have some other like as you get kind of leveling up a little bit, but we do within South Dakota, we have an involuntary commitment. Um, so there's involuntary commitments for mental health needs, but there is also for
1: substance use. Where can um, somebody get those papers? Is so it?
2: they can just go to their county courthouse. Okay. Um, it needs to be filed within the county that the person lives. Okay. So, um, and then from there, they're basically mandated to do an assessment. Um, and if it's found that, yep, they are a danger to themselves, um, they are put in this, put on a hold essentially for 90 days of having to complete treatment treatment or any other recommendations that are put forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, sometimes IVCs are really great and they work out. And sometimes the person just holds a lot of resentments and it doesn't. But sometimes it is that eye opener for a client. And the way I always present it with people is someone cared enough about you Mm -hmm. to do this. Right. Um, Instead of letting you just drink yourself to death. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, or I tell people if they're most comfortable with their doctor, start with their doctor. If oh, they have okay. that rapport with their doctor, start there. Mm-hmm. And the doctor can start to help them see some of those things or do some okay. of it. Or, you know, again, if you are more comfortable with your mental health therapist, start there. Sure. Mm-hmm. And um, but looking at there's definitely different treatment options and across the state. Um, we are definitely in. A post pandemic moment of <laughs> we are full all across the oh, state, mm-hmm. um, especially female beds are hard to come okay. by right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of outpatient services or things that we can do for somebody while they're waiting if they truly okay. need an inpatient setting.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and there's we have a variety of things. That can so be done. if I'm Joe Blow off the street and I come to you because I'm ready mm-hmm. to get honest, Jamie, and we do the assessment, do I have to attend a Vera's? No. Okay. So I can get the assessment mm-hmm. and I can take your recommendations yep. and, and go wherever. Yep. Maybe I have family in Sioux Falls mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Okay.
2: And that's part of what we look at is, you know, where do you, like, I I'll ask clients, what are you open to? Cause I'm going to meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if they're saying I am only willing to do outpatient right now, cause I don't want to lose my job. Okay let's figure this out. Um, or yeah, I have really good support out in rapid city. Could you find me a facility in rapid city? Absolutely. We work with all the treatment centers across the state. And so we do a lot of those referrals because some people do just need to get out of town.
0: Mm -hmm. They need
2: a different location for a period of time. They need to not have temptations, those Mm -hmm. kind of things. And so, and sometimes we just can't get them in. Mm -hmm. Like there's an earlier bed at this location. Let's look at this location instead.
1: I just want to say that my experience with you guys at Avera Addiction, and that goes back to the early 2000s when it was Nadric and And I was in sight. Yeah, Yeah, and Worthmore. (laughs) Um, I've always been able to refer with confidence because Mm – um I knew people were going to be treated with the utmost respect mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. there was going to be no shaming um and and I find that to this day and I mm-hmm. think that's I think your staff needs to be commended for that Absolutely. That. Absolutely. We Absolutely. care about our
2: clients. We do. It's not just as much for you guys. It's not an easy job. It's mm-hmm. really easy to take some of those things home to personalize those moments, but we care. Mm-hmm. Like we definitely We'd love to see those success stories, and even when they come back in our door again, it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, let's figure this out. Where did something not go right? I
1: love it when I have a client, and they're like, "Yeah, so I was at Aftercare, I was at this, and God, it's just a bitch to me." And I'm like, "Well, what did you do?" (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) We're not dealing with bitchy Mm -hmm. people, so Mm -hmm. tell me more about the story behind this. What role did you play in that? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) One thing I wanted to clarify is like when you say like, let's say you you commit you you want to commit your relative Mm -hmm. or whatever. And you say the person has to be in danger of hurting themselves. Mm -hmm. Does that also mean like, let's say the person is not eating and they're Mm -hmm. not sleeping and they're not functioning. They're not Mm -hmm. going to work. Is that also part of that? Yep.
2: Yep, that's all of what we look at. Because okay. that's still harm for themselves. When you look at recovery, recovery is a holistic approach. So it's mm-hmm. not just staying sober. So what's their financial health their mental health or physical health? So looking at all aspects of their life and which parts are working, which parts aren't. Are they mm-hmm. all in destruction? So, yeah, we definitely look at all those pieces.
0: Okay, because I think some people think the only way I can do that is if they're actively suicidal. Mm-hmm.
1: Which that would be an involuntary mental health committal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you do an involuntary substance abuse committal, mm-hmm. there's actually different criteria yep. than the mental health one. Yep. And if I remember right, one of the criteria is, like, inability to care for your children. Mm-hmm. Yep, can be know, one of You know, if you can't care for yourself or cho- Not mm-hmm. just that, but mm-hmm. that's one of them.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, anything else? I know I do have one more thing. I'll go on and on. I know I just, that's I'm like. Oh mm. <laughs> um, my god! Here we go. Here we go again. No, the last thing I just want to mm-hmm. say is, um, in terms of getting a sponsor, mm-hmm. how how important do you think that is? And I've also heard that female sponsors are really hard to come by.
2: Um, we do definitely have. It's getting better, but that has definitely been a continued issue. Is some of, and I think it still is back to that stigma of females don't drink or, but they really yeah. do. Um, but you know, when you have either a sponsor or sometimes people will look at it more as a mentorship, um, anytime you can build a community of like-minded people, you are going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether you do work with a sponsor or you just have a lot of times, I just call it like your AA support people. Um, yeah. I'll have people that will put in their phone, like AA a. Becky, AA France. So when Mm -hmm. they look at their phone, those are the first numbers they see. That's awesome. And so whenever you can build that network, you're just increasing your likelihood of success because mm-hmm. you're surrounding yourself with other people who have those similar values, have those similar aspects of things going on versus surrounding yourself with people who are drinking. Right. Um, and so we really encourage people to get a sponsor, to get a mentor. Um, you know, there's a lot of options, whether it's a and um, celebrate recovery. There's also online, there's smart recovery. Um, and so if people aren't able to attend in-person meetings and maybe it's their own anxiety, that's causing it. Um, smart recovery is a really good option for people too. It's cognitive base. It's not a 12 step based program. So if that's the hang up for some people, mm-hmm. um, that smart recovery may be a good option too.
1: It's nice that it's online. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yep. And you picked out some really great apps. I did. Um, maybe so those weren't the ones the smart, but well smart
1: recovery is one of them mm-hmm. and if you go to smart recovery they can actually set you up with something called checkups and choices mm-hmm. which is more of a cognitive behavioral based how yep. are you feeling what are you thinking mm-hmm. um the sober tool, um, that you have listed on the paper, that it, that is a good one. And then there's sober counters. If mm-hmm. that's something you want to yep. do, um, this Annie Grace that I talked about, she has the path through the naked mind, which is a, a paid for subscription, mm-hmm. um, where you will get some of that. Um, if you, you know, for whatever reason you're 12 step adverse or whatever it might be, you can get some of those resources. I just love that more things are available yep. online.
2: And there's mm-hmm. a lot more apps that are coming out, um, that even will help connect people. So you can put a some of your support people on there mm-hmm. and so then they can check in with you to those kind I of moments that. sober grid's a good one um, sober grid yeah okay. that's one that we have quite a few clients um especially ones that travel because sober grid you can look for are there AA meetings in my area oh nice. um, that's cool so or there's just a lot of forums or community boards within sober grid so being able to just it's three in the morning i'm really struggling i'm going to chat with somebody do you else. have to do
1: AA? so no. i hear that all the time Nope. they've got to do AA. That's the only way they're going to stay sober is if they do AA. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be honest as their therapist. Mm-hmm. If praying to a freaking hairbrush every mm-hmm. night keeps them <laughs> nope, sober, whatever.
2: do Use the nope. hairbrush. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of people who have gotten sober only doing AA, mm-hmm. like right. that they haven't right. done formal treatment before. Um, and so it's kind of, you know, whatever is going to work for that person. A yeah. lot of people are, will say, you know, me just going to maybe church. Like that's the piece that works for me. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I, like I've had a couple people that have been in my aftercare now for over a year, almost two years. Mm -hmm. And they say, this is, I get more out of this than going to necessarily I hear that a lot actually from people at aftercare. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I'm game for that.
1: Stick around. I like having you too. So. And I love it that we do have Celebrate Recovery Mm -hmm. in Aberdeen, which I think is a nationwide program, right? It is. Yep. If you really love the Jesus component Mm -hmm. to things, Mm -hmm. like if that's huge to you. That's yep. a great program. Yeah. They for do you. a worship
2: service at the beginning and then they break up into groups. And the big piece with Celebrate Recovery is it's gender specific. Mm-hmm. So they'll yeah. break up into a male group, female group. And that's the piece that a lot of people like of having, you know, I don't and you get to a worry. mentor, mm-hmm.
1: you mm-hmm. know, right away. Um, but I think the important thing um, we want people to take away from is you have to do what works for you and mm-hmm. what works for your loved one. Yep. And it doesn't matter if it's AA or whatever. And mm-hmm. that it's
2: okay
0: not to be okay. And it's okay yes. to ask for help. Oh, absolutely. That's what we're here for. Yes, absolutely. Because we're the shrinks. And that's a wrap.